0: If you have your Bibles, turn them over to Luke 2, verses uh, 41 through 52 is what we'll be looking at this morning. Um, the title may, in your Bible may say, The Boy Jesus in the Temple. Uh, I want to talk to you this morning, I want to begin by talking to you about the prefrontal cortex. <laughs> if you're wondering what the prefrontal cortex looks like. Looks like that, but it's not really red. This is just highlighting the part of your brain that we call the prefrontal cortex. I did a little research on the prefrontal cortex uh, over the week. And according to the scienceofpsychotherapy.com, which I'm sure is a legitimate website. um, You see how deep I get into these sermons. Yeah, Wikipedia. The prefrontal cortex is a complex cognitive behavior, personality expression, decision-making, and what it does is it helps you moderate social behavior. Just in case the science of psychotherapy.com is not a legitimate reference or resource, I decided to see what Professor Robert Splosky from Stanford University had to say about the prefrontal cortex. He said, the frontal cortex makes you do the harder thing when it's the right thing to do. Unfortunately, he also said it's the last part of the brain to develop. It takes roughly 25 years for your prefrontal cortex, which uh, determines or helps you determine the right thing to do, even when it's harder to do before. uh, uh, It takes 25 years before it's even fully developed, Uh, especially if you're a man. (laughs) I was kind of waiting to get an amen there. Good job, ladies. (laughs) 25 years for the decision-making part of your brain to fully develop. And so like some of you probably right now can start thinking like, that's why I made all of those decisions before I turned 25. So you can go to your parents, younger people, or people whose parents are still alive and just tell them my prefrontal cortex wasn't fully developed. Now, for those of you who are over 25... You're probably asking yourself this question right now. What is my problem now? (laughs) You may be wondering that. This morning, I want us to look at a story that I think really should get us thinking about what it means to be wise, what it means to be wise and what it means to make wise decisions and wise choices. So if you have your Bible with you, verse 41, I'm going to read through the story, explain the story, and then we'll get to application. Now his parents, his parents are Jesus' parents, went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And so if you were with us here a couple weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus' parents took him to the temple and both didn't have to go, and actually it was an expression of Jesus' parents' devotion and piety to God. Well, here again, we see that continue. Twelve years later, both Joseph and Mary, they're traveling to Jerusalem. And believe it or not, in this instance as well, not everybody had to go. The men were expected to go to celebrate the Passover, which is a celebration, by the way, of salvation that took place thousands of years ago as God brought the uh, Israelite people, the Hebrew people, out of Egypt. And so they're coming, uh, people from all over Israel and really all over the world. Anybody who worshiped uh, Yahweh, this God, Here, uh, would come to the temple. So you have all these pilgrims basically kind of coming to the temple and Jesus' parents are part of this and to show their devotion at this point in time, they actually aren't living in Bethlehem, which is, uh, about eight miles away from Jerusalem or was it five, five miles away from Jerusalem. But now they're back in Nazareth, which was about 80 miles away if you were going to travel around Samaria, which pretty much everybody did. And so this is a several day trip of 80 miles by foot that they're pilgrimaging um, with their 12 year old son, along with a lot of other families to go worship at the feast of Passover. And then verse 42, we are told how old Jesus is. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. And I want us to think about Jesus being 12 here because it really sets the stage for everything that's going to happen. Jesus is 13 years away from his prefrontal cortex being developed. So he's 13 years away from being 25 years old and being able to make, because Jesus is human by way, He's God and a human here, being able to make all the right decisions that he should make or theoretically filter the information that he has so he can make the right decisions. And so they take him up, but... All the commentators point out here that this is kind of, Jesus' age is not insignificant. Being 12 meant that he was one year removed from being 13. Any 13-year-olds in here right now? Any teenagers? Yeah, thanks, Brianna. Yeah, right here. So in Jewish custom and Jewish culture, when you turn 13, you are on the cusp of adulthood. So Jesus here is basically still kind of in childhood, but he's one, he's one year removed away from people beginning to see him as a young adult and seeing him as morally responsible before God. We see this actually played out in Jewish custom after uh, Jesus's life. The bar mitzvah, some of you have heard about the bar mitzvah, that didn't predate Jesus, that post-dated Jesus. And so what it tells us, even about Jewish culture there, these bar mitzvahs that celebrate Uh, Basically, young people becoming kind of adults or being on the cusp of adulthood took place after, just after Jesus' life. This was instituted, but this was basically understood among Jewish people. By the time you reach 13, you're on the cusp of adulthood and you you need to start being morally responsible for your decisions, which is when we think about it, it's kind of completely different than our culture almost. And and some people like, oh, we're just trying to make sure that kids remain kids for as long as possible. And we don't want to steal away people's innocence. That's not what I'm talking about here, nor would you see in the scriptures but they also are seeing these young people. What they want to happen is for young men and young women to grow up into adulthood and into the maturity here. And so they celebrate these sorts of things. So Jesus is 12 years old and he's in the temple. In verse 43, and when the feast was ended, they were returning. And, and when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. So, get, like, just picture this: here they're, they leave after a week of celebration. Here, the celebration lasted about a week. They leave with probably you, you know a large group. Some would be family members. Some are just people from Nazareth. These large and, and just generally like pilgrims just leaving now Jerusalem. And what they're assuming is that Jesus is with family or with friends, but he's just kind of traveling with the group. And they travel an entire day without their 12-year-old son. And finally, I don't know at what point, they probably start to ask around, like, where where is Jesus? I don't know, maybe they're responsible for feeding him. Um, And they realize that Jesus is missing. And when I read through the story, I always think about the time my parents and all of us, we lost my uh, middle brother, Justin, at Kings Island. And I just remember, like, seeing the shock and distress on my parents' face as they're going around trying to find my middle brother. And I, I just kind of am thinking, like, well, he's, probably pro- he's the problem child out of all of us anyways. Like, just let it go. Uh, he, does, he, he doesn't listen to my sermon, so we're good. <laughs> um, but, like, you think to Mary and Joseph, like, I, I do think about this reaction, like, for them. I mean, they lost the Son of God, Right? Can you imagine? We lost the son of God and, and then Mary because only Joseph really had to go on this trip. Well, this is your idea. This is your responsibility. He's your son too. You need to help me find him. And so they're probably having this argument. Maybe not, but I like to think that they are. Either way, they're unable to find him and the group. They are searching everywhere after they've tra- traveled a day or so. So probably roughly 20 miles or so by foot. And now they can't find Jesus. And the text says they're unable to find him. So they Head back to Jerusalem to look for him. In verse 46, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. So they discovered Jesus is not with them, and it takes them three days to find Jesus. So when they find Jesus, they go into the temple and they see Jesus having basically dialogue with these teachers. In the temple, Jesus is asking them questions, and we can assume that they are asking Jesus questions because they're astonished at what we are told are his answers. And everyone is kind of amazed at this point, including his parents, as the story unfolds. Now, uh, the, the amazement of his mother quickly changes here. Any of you who are parents can understand how this works. You can be amazed at your parent, at your children and completely upset or appalled by, at them at the same time, just the other day, I was telling my oldest son Judah we had signed him up for baseball, and my youngest son j t who's only three said well i I want to play baseball and Emily made the mistake of speaking up right away and said j t you 're too young to play baseball we 're at the dinner table. He immediately takes his fork and just throws it at my wife 's face it 's only like this far away really." Quickly, JT, go to your room. I looked at my wife and went, <laughs> You know, like, my boy wants to play ball. <laughs> so Mary is impressed. right? Mary's impressed for the moment, but here's what she said to him. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you and are in great distress. So she's impressed in the moment, but then Jesus, I'm worried sick about you. You did, you did not call us. You did not tell us you were going to be in the temple. I know you're at church. Did you at least have your mask on? It's a 2021 version, unfortunately. Verse 49. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. So Jesus speaks up basically. And what he says is, is, you should have known where to find me. And his parents are still pondering this. We're told, and they don't understand, verses 51 through 52. And he went down to them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So this story ends with telling us that Jesus submits, he obeys to his his parents. And in it, uh, we're told of Jesus growing in wisdom and stature with both God and man. So what is the point of this story? Like, well, when you read through stories like this, what's the point? Well, the point of this story here is twofold. Let's go to verses 49 here. Let's Bring back 49 up here for me. Uh, look how Jesus responds when his parents <laughs> basically get on him and say, hey, we were worried sick about you. Where were you? He says, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? what we're trying to be shown here is that Jesus is very clear about his mission. He's very clear about who he is. He's very clear about what he must do, and one of the things that Jesus must do uh, as the Messiah, as the, as the God man, as the son of God is he must he must teach us about God. He is going to be the teacher of the Father. This is who Jesus is. This is who he came to be. This is what Jesus came to do, is to pass on the wisdom of the Father. And Jesus is trying to tell them, because of this, I must be in my Father's house. And so if you're a note taker, you just want to write this down real quick. You can think about the point number one is this right here, that Jesus is preparing. Jesus is preparing to be the wise teacher. I have capital T there. He is the teacher. He is our teacher for us. So he is spending time with other teachers. He is preparing by being with other teachers. This is why we find Jesus in the temple, because Jesus knows that wisdom and instruction is passed down. Jesus knows that in the temple is where he is going to find his father. He's going to find people who have spent time with his father, and he's going to take that wisdom that he is collecting, and he is going to pass it down through his time with his father and time learning from even other people here. The second point is like the first, but a little different. Verses 49 and 50, we're going to look at these combined here. It's, Jesus said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And we're told they did not understand. This question that Jesus asks his parents is actually a pointed and kind of a rhetorical question. It's a pointed and rhetorical question. <laughs> well, you should have known where to look for me. Like, did you did you not know? The point of this story here is that Jesus' parents should have known where to look for him. That's what Jesus is implying by that question. But they didn't, and they didn't quite understand, is what we're told. So a question we should ask ourselves is what should we understand after reading this story? And the first is this, is that we should grow in wisdom as Jesus did and see him as our teacher as we do. We should grow in wisdom as Jesus did and see him as our teacher, the teacher, as we do. If Jesus had to grow wisdom. If if the perfect man who happened to be God had to grow in wisdom, we probably need to grow in wisdom too. So what is wisdom? We often like to separate knowledge and wisdom. Jewish people in Jewish culture wouldn't often do that, but I think we can do that and we should do that just to kind of help think about what wisdom is. In relation to knowledge, well, if knowledge is information, wisdom is application, and so knowledge is kind of what we know—it's it's facts, experience, or whatever it may. Wisdom is taking that knowledge, taking that information, and then knowing what is true about it, and then knowing how to apply it to our life. That's what. Wisdom is. So knowledge understands that the the light has turned red. Wisdom applies the brakes. Knowledge is the quicksand. Wisdom tells you to walk around it. Uh, Knowledge memorizes the Ten Commandments, but wisdom teaches you to obey it. So becoming wise, maybe in some ways, is actually developing a very healthy free frontal cortex. Jesus personifies wisdom he personifies wisdom. Jesus is wisdom. In the Bible, if you read the Bible, what you'll discover is the Bible talks about the ultimate wisdom, the ultimate wisdom coming from God. He'll talk about wise people like Solomon, but even Solomon messes up a lot in the Bible and makes some very unwise decisions. But God is who is wise. And Jesus is the personification of wisdom As you read through the scriptures, he is one with the Father. He is the one who embodies it. He's the one who always lives it out. He's the one who always acts in a wise way. In fact, in 1 Corinthians one we we're told this, God has united you with Christ. So God has united you with wisdom. Wisdom is inside of you, is what Paul says. And then he says, for our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. And so (laughs) Christ is in us, and there is wisdom in us, but ultimately, wisdom is Christ. It is not you. You are not always wise. Christ made us to be right with God. He made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. And so as we are united with Christ, as we live um, Christ-like lives, we act in wise ways as Christ flows out of us. So that's how we become wise. Well, how did Jesus then pursue wisdom if he is wisdom? Or what did he do to um, uh, be wise? First, he pursued wisdom. As somebody who personified wisdom, he actually still had to pursue it. This is why Jesus went to the temple. This is why Jesus stayed in the temple. He didn't stay in the temple because he thought the temple was a really fun place to be, like you all do when you come to church every day. You're just like, I'm ready to have fun. <laughs> he he was, <laughs> some of you... You have tons of fun. I know you do. You're you're like you're having so much fun right now. He went to the temple because he wanted to pursue, he wanted to become wise. And he knew who was in the temple. Teachers were in the temple. He went to the temple to learn. And so he goes to the temple and he is learning. And by the way, have you ever thought about this? Jesus didn't start really teaching until he was 30. Jesus' ministry didn't start till he was 30. You all hired me when I was 28 to be your pastor. What were you thinking? So there is an siege, and Jesus at 12 here is preparing for his ministry uh, before he becomes 30 to go and do what God has set him to do as he completes his mission that God has set him out to complete. And many of you know this, and even as a church, right, we should recognize this, that often those who are older should be, they're not always, should be wiser. I can even I would tell you, right, if you were, if I were to start over again, if you would let me to turn back the clock, seven years, there are a lot of things that I would do different now after knowing what I know now that I didn't know then. And any wise person, I think, would say that about themselves. So Jesus pursued wisdom. Jesus listened in doing that. As he pursued wisdom, Jesus was a listener. Jesus sought to understand. He sought to to understand. He didn't just seek to be understood, but he sought to understand. And this is really interesting because if you read through Jesus' teaching, right, in, in his life in general, who actually did he criticize the most sometimes? The teachers. He did. The Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees. And so Jesus is still learning from these people, by the way. He understands That they don't even embody it all the time. And and that is true, by the way, sometimes of your teachers. Your your spiritual that is true sometimes of me. If I only, by the way, taught you at things that taught you about things that like I have figured out and I do do perfectly, uh, it's not a good thing because you can ask my wife, I am not the perfect teacher. Like I'm not a teacher who embodies everything I teach. I hope to. So Jesus is here and he's listening to these people who he's eventually going to challenge, but he's learning from them. And as he does, he's asking questions. He's asking questions. And so we see that as Jesus becomes wise, he is thoughtful. He's trying to figure out, well, is this what God means? Is this who God is? Is this what what you believe? Why do you believe this? He is a good student. Good students ask good questions. That's what they do. And then finally, here And so we'll think about this. It's okay to ask questions. Maybe you're with us or you've been watching or whatever, and you're still actually trying to decide whether or not you want to follow Jesus. This is not a place where you can't ask questions. Uh, this is not a place where you can't even send me an email every once in a while. Don't do it every day. Don't do it every week. And, and ask, like, Josh, did you really mean to say that? Or what did you mean by that? You can do that. You can, you can try to figure out, is Jesus worth worth following? Is what you are teaching the truth? So good students do. And then finally, I do want us to see this. As last is that Jesus obeyed. So Jesus' parents show up and they're like, come on, uh, you can't stay here in the temple. You got to go with us. And Obviously, I think Jesus could have stayed, but Jesus does know the Ten Commandments. He does understand that he's supposed to honor his mother and father, and he's been given in Joseph's care, although he has a heavenly father who even takes precedence over them. And, and Jesus, what the Bible says is that Jesus submits to them. He, he obeys them. And so sometimes what they'll do is even maybe like, maybe even as a boy here, um, Jesus is wondering, well, you know, I know my mission is to teach. Why shouldn't we live here in Jerusalem or closer to Jerusalem uh, so I can learn and do this? Or why won't you leave me here for a couple of days? But one of the, one of the things that I think is very true is that a wise person, even if they don't understand everything as they've come to decide to follow the Lord, they will obey even if they don't understand everything yet. And really, so much of our life as we follow Jesus is faith seeking understanding. And so, God, I'm going to do that. You know what? Like, I don't understand even why you're asking me to do this, but I'm going to do this because I believe you teach that this is the right thing to do right now in this moment. The way Jesus pursued wisdom, I I've, I've still believe, I honestly believe, is the way that we should pursue wisdom today and now as we see Jesus doing that. Now the second kind of big idea I think we should get from this story is I guess more, part of it is going to be more of a confession for us as we kind of define the struggle maybe even to become wise. Because it is it's, it's kind of a struggle for us or a goal for us all to become wise. Um, and so this is Kind of how I should think we should kind of think of it as as kind of this wide view here is that we know where to find wisdom, but we often do not pursue it or apply it. I asked you, right, if you're over 25, what's your excuse? We know where to find it. We do. Like, as followers of Jesus, we know where to find it, but we just often... We don't pursue or apply it. so here are just three reasons why I think often this is the case, and just find yourself in this. Right? Find yourself in this, and maybe where you're at in this moment. The first is this, is that we forget what we know. We forget what we know. Uh, as human beings, we have really short memories. We do. Think about this. Think about this for a second. Jesus asked his parents this rhetorical question. Why were you looking for me? Did you not know I must be in my father's house? In a way, like this is just Jesus kind of nailing his parents a little bit here. I mean, he's only, he's, he's 12 years old here. He's lived with his parents for some time, but do they forget? I mean, did, did they forget the angels showing up, announcing Jesus' birth? I mean, did Joseph forget everything that he was told? Did Mary just forget all of that? Like how everything just happened miraculously? If you read through Luke, what you discover is, is Mary writes a song about it. She writes a song about Jesus being the Son of God and being the Savior of the world. Did they just forget that Zachariah and Elizabeth were going to have John although they were older in age and he was going to be a precursor to Jesus and that the Savior was going to be announced by their son and that they had this conversation together to talk about all of this even before Jesus was born. Did they forget that? Did they forget what happened 12 years before this when they were at the temple? What we talked about two weeks ago We're both Simeon and Anna announced who Jesus is, who he'd become, and what he was going to do. I mean, did they just forget all of that? Did they forget the wise men showing up at their house and giving them gifts and worshiping what would have been like a, a child or toddler Jesus? Did they? Did they just? Jesus, is like, say, did you forget that? Are you really surprised to find me here? Are your memories that short? Do you struggle with unbelief that much, mom and dad? And what we see in the text is, the answer is yeah. We're told that they didn't understand. And we are just like this. We are just like this. We can come each week. We can go to group. We can read books. We can experience miracles. We can... Sean said last week, I cried in that altar, I cried in that altar, or that that pew, that pew, and that pew. We can come in all of these pews and we can cry in all of these pews. We can be radically changed by God and we can forget that he is our wisdom. We can forget what he says about what he has done. We can forget what he's done in our lives because we are forgetful people. And this is one of the reasons that we gather every week. You ever think about that? We gather every week. I say almost the same thing every week. And most of you still come every week. (laughs) Why is that? One of the reasons is we forget. We forget. That's why I encourage you to read your Bible regularly, daily. It's why we worship, it's why we pray. It's why we must look back and remember what God has done in our lives and give him thanks daily for it. We forget. We forget what we should understand. But it is not wise to forget. It is not wise to forget. So if that's you, just not forget, Lord. Second is we ignore what we know. We ignore what we know and it keeps us from being wise. When we ignore what we know, we are not willing to do what Christ did. Jesus is there in front of his parents Son, you're 12. Let's go. Jesus submitted. He obeyed. He didn't ignore his dad in that instance, his mom in that instance. He made the wise decision. He said, Dad, if that's what you say, Mom, if that's what you say, this is what I'm going to do. What's interesting is that Jesus could have pulled the God card. (laughs) Do you know who you're talking to? My mission is to be the teacher. I am going to be the one who's going to make everyone wise. I am wisdom. I embody it. Jesus could have done that. He could have. But he didn't. But that is exactly what we do. That is exactly what we do. When we see, when we know that God is calling us to, when God is telling us something, when God has said something, and we just ignore it. We know it. And I'll be honest with you. Most of the big mistakes that I have made in my life is not from forgetting, it's from ignoring Most of my regrets, as I look back on my life, I became a Christian when I was 13. I became aware of God when I was 13. I became what I would call morally responsible before God when I was 13. Almost all of the things that I deeply regret was from simply ignoring God. And I found myself in a lot of unwise positions when I did that. I think that's true probably for most followers of Christ. So what are you ignoring? Where in your life have you made yourself God? It's not wise to ignore what you know. Third, we don't treasure what we know. We don't treasure what we know. In verse 51, you can see Mary's response at the, end of the, at the end of the story. And what we're told is that she treasured this experience in her heart. She treasured it. The interesting thing about Mary is she was one of the few people there at the cross when Jesus was crucified. When everything was tough, when it was all malign, Who was there? The person in this story that treasured Jesus in her heart. You see, knowledge knows about God. Wisdom loves them. Wisdom loves them. Mary wasn't at the cross just because she knew something about Jesus just because she knew a lot of information about what he taught and what he did, just because she knew the Ten Commandments, she was not there because of any of that. She was at the foot of the cross when it was on the line, when she could have been put on the cross herself, when she would have been outcast from society by being there in front of a criminal, a crucified criminal, she was there because she loved him. That is why she was there. Growing in wisdom must mean, right, if you think about it this way, it must mean that Christ must move from our head to our heart. If you see all of your heart being wrapped up in your prefrontal cortex, just have it, there you go. It's, it, but it, you, it's all right there. Think of it here too. That's what it means. And this is what it means to follow Jesus whether you're 12 or 92. This is what it takes to grow in wisdom, whether you're six or 86. It's treasuring Jesus above all else, young and old. Here's why. No matter how old you are, no matter how old you are, you're going you're to be put in situations where you are going to have to decide what to do and who to trust. This happens in your everyday life. And you're going to have to decide Am I going to trust my friends at this party? Or am I going to trust Christ? Am I going to trust my coworkers in this situation? Or am I going to trust Christ? Am I going to trust my family sometimes here? Or am I going to trust Christ? Am I going to trust my teachers? Or am I going to trust Christ? When you treasure Christ in your heart above all else, you'll know the right thing to do, even if it's the harder thing to do in that moment. And yes, you will still fail from time to time. You will. But treasuring Christ is the power that will get you back up out of your failure and it will get you refocused back on Christ as you learn from your past mistakes, as you grow in wisdom, and as you look for God's guidance. Wisdom will continue to learn and wisdom will never give up. So my plea for you this morning church is to love Christ because if you do you will grow in wisdom. And as we go to prayer here's what I hope you will do. I hope you will pursue wisdom. I hope you will pursue wisdom. So come. Go to group. Learn, ask questions. God wants to guide you and he wants to make you wise. And if you find yourself lacking in wisdom because of forgetfulness, do the things that help you not forget. Worship Christ, pray, read your, I know it's like the pastor thing to say, right, read your Bibles. (laughs) Think back on what God has done in your life. If you're ignoring Christ's commands, just confess it right now. Repent and believe. Or maybe your heart's just not in it. That's what God wants. That's what Jesus wants. He wants your heart. Keep doing the same thing over and over again. Give him your heart. Give him your heart. I'm going to ask Charlie to come up. He's he's going to play. I'm going to pray. If you want to come and pray at the altars and pursue wisdom, pursue Christ, you can do that this morning. But take this opportunity and just be real with Christ. Get right with Christ. Let us pray. Father, we come to you this morning, we give you praise and thanks. We, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that in the midst of this chaotic world that is difficult to navigate, it is difficult to make decisions on what to do and who to follow and who to believe, that you do give us somebody to believe in, somebody to trust in, somebody to pursue, and that's Jesus Christ. And I pray this morning over our church that you would help us to do just that, I pray, Father, that above all else, we would pursue Christ and that we would trust that doing so is the wise thing to do. I pray that as a congregation, you would help us to grow in wisdom. I pray that you would help us to listen and learn from good teachers. I pray that you would help us to ask the right questions. I pray that you would help us to be people, as are written about in the Proverbs, people who are people who, that sharpen one another as iron sharpens iron. I pray that we would always go back to, with each question that we have and we would seek an answer that we believe would please your son, Jesus. I pray that you help those of us who forget how faithful that you have been to each and every one of us, that we would remember your faithfulness, we would remember that your goodness. I pray for those who are here in this room this morning that may just be ignoring your commands. It may be ignoring what you would have for them, As Debbie prayed this morning, Father, your plan for us is good. You don't want to harm us. You want to give us life. You want to give us a future. And there may be people in this room right now who as they think about their life, they think about their future, they don't believe that they have a future. They don't even know where they're going. I pray, Father, that you would give them wisdom and direction. I pray that you would give them Jesus Christ right now. I pray that your son would enter their hearts and enter their minds and that he would by your spirit, that you would call them to Christ. And I pray that they would not ignore your call, that they would not ignore the pull of the Holy Spirit, young or old. I pray for the young in this room, Father. I do pray that you would help guide them in wisdom. It is a very difficult world. It is very hard to know what is right and what is wrong, and it's very hard to know the difference between up and down anymore. And so we pray for your guidance and wisdom in their lives. And I pray for, for whether somebody is young or old, that ultimately that their heart would belong to you. Because the truth is, Father, we can know a lot about Jesus. We can know a lot about the Bible. We can know a lot about the church. We can know a lot about neuroscience. We know a lot about things. And yet we can still be unwise We can still be lost. That we'd give you our hearts this morning. That they would belong completely and fully to you. I pray if there's anybody here this morning whose heart does not belong to you, I pray they would make a decision today to give their heart to you, to make you their Lord, Decide to follow you. To receive the salvation that you offer through the cross and the life that you promise through the resurrection. Would they do that this morning? And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.